the 2000 chart show. The 2000 chart show. Hello and welcome to a, another episode of the 2000s Chart Show, the podcast that each week is revisiting the UK Top 40 from 20 years ago. Think of us as if Heat Magazine and Top of the Pops had a gay child, and that would be us. I am Samuel Spencer, and I am a writer and a pop fan of such magnitude that my first word wasn't Dada, it was Darius Dinesh. Did that joke work? I don't know. I'm still slightly feverish from the COVID. I'm hoping it's given me a raspy, mucha buena style voice, but I'm not sure about that. But what I am sure about is we've got a great show for you this week. New entries from Justin Timberlake, Westlife, Jamelia, Louise, and Queen of All Queens, Rachel Stevens. So gay icons are plenty, and that is very apt because this time 20 years ago, on September the 25th, 2003, the United Kingdom Parliament voted in favour of the Sexual Offences Bill, which eventually led to the decriminalisation of homosexuality in England and Wales. Now, some of you may be thinking, wasn't homosexuality decriminalised in 1967? And you're technically correct, but that original act said that only legalised homosexual acts between two men in private, which means if you wanted to have group sex in a hotel until 2003, you couldn't do it. So all of you guys who took part in the infamous Chromatica Ball toilet orgy, you've got 2003 to thank. And I'm sure every single one of you listens. So I'm glad that I was able to reunite you all under one common cause again. On September the 24th, 2003, the Human Genome Project finally mapped and sequenced all the genes in the human genome, meaning they finally had mapped out the gene that makes gay people obsessed with Rachel Stevens, a feat previously thought impossible for science to solve. And that's a gene, obviously, that all of us share. Also on September the 24th, Owned of these two things were linked. The song Baby Boy by Beyonce and Sean Paul went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Whereas we in the UK had to wait until the 18th of October for that song to make it into the charts. You can tune in then to find out exactly how well it does. But for now, we're going to start going through the top 40 from this week 20 years ago. 13 new releases this week and probably the most top heavy chart we've ever seen. So of those 13 new releases in the top 40, seven of them are in the top 10. Now, when I realised that, I was like, oh, what would be fun would be to compare the chart to a top heavy celebrity. But then, of course, that made my mind totally go blank, see COVID brain fog. And so I was like, okay, it's fine. I'll just ask ChatGBT to name me five top heavy celebrities. And it said to me, I'm sorry, but I cannot fulfill your request. It is not appropriate to comment on someone's physical appearance in a negative way. It is important to respect people's privacy and avoid making hurtful comments about their bodies. To which I would say, you're the only, I don't know, entity saying that being top heavy is a negative thing. So actually, you're the problematic one. I went to Google instead. And asked that to find me some top heavy celebrities. And it gave me Queen Latifah and Amelia Clark. So this is very much the Amelia Clark of UK top 40s. And so let's kick it off with three variations on rock, shall we say. At 40, I just don't know what to do with myself by the White Stripes. Featuring Kate Moss doing a pole dance. 39, Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. And 38, the rockingest of them all, Sleeping with the Light On by Busted. <laughs> Don't know 
like a summer rose. Wash his hands and seal his face. Sleeping with the light on there in its sixth week and the other two in their third weeks on the chart but all very likely to be leaving the chart this week this week i uncovered some interesting shade between busted and a certain other band that are two places ahead of them on this week's chart so let's get to that in a sec but first here at 37 seventh week on the chart down from 30 is pharrell williams and jay-z with frontin And so, as I said, at 36 is a band that Matty from Busted has just decided to come for, for seemingly no reason this week. In an issue of Smash Hits, he is quoted as saying, She's a rude ginger bitch. Who was he talking about? Well, it was a member of this band in their fifth week on the chart, down from 31. When That's right, Matty from Busted coming for Nicola Roberts from Girls Aloud. What is it about these singers in semi-rock bands called Matty that makes them dicks? That's a modern popular culture reference for you there, yes? I can make them, I just choose not to. However, Nicola Roberts being the iconic queen who, let's be honest, released the best Girls Aloud solo single there ever was, no arguments. got the last laugh because she replied to by writing I am a rude ginger bitch bothered on the back of a skirt which then she wore on stage. In 2011 she told The Guardian I've still got it it's in my wardrobe I want to get it framed actually I'm going to put it where my plaques are. So Nicola Roberts remaining a queen and just ahead of them in the chart is another true queen at 35 in its 12th week on the chart so still the longest running song on this week's UK Top 40. This is Crazy in Love by Beyonce. Like Ben X2. 
Now, Beyonce is known for having a uh, large rump, and the single cover for this next song also was just simply a large bottom painted gold. I don't know who this guy saying rump and bottom is. I think I, in my head he's like a kind of cheesy radio DJ, but it's making me incredibly uncomfortable even doing it now. So let's just hear this song. 34, our first new entry, Junior Jack with E Samba. In August, this song had previously spent one week at 91 on the charts, but now, a month later, has made it to the giddy heights of 34. The lyrics you heard read, Esa negra seme sandalia e samba. Which means, this black woman without sandals and samba. So basically what they're saying is, she's just like you and me, but she's without sandals or samba. la da dee da 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 la da dee da 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 la da dee la da da la da dee la da da that is a sample from the song Negras em Sandalia by Jadir de Castro and that's from the 1967 film Black Orpheus so very much a Latin samba vibe from Junior Jack although he was actually an Italian DJ based in Belgium and so therefore was every Brexiteer's worst nightmare Junior Jack not actually called Jack at all but actually called Vito Lucente. He gets the name Jack, which was a term in early house music. He first was Mr. Jack, and then he became Junior Jack. So Mr. Jack... Whoa, dude, Mr. Jack is my father. Name's... Junior Jack. And he has appeared on these this podcast twice already under two different monikers. Not as in under a woman called Monica. The f- Monica, you know, different name. Anyway, he was number one with his project Room 5. Number one with their song Make Love. And also got to 31 in May with the song Hypnotising as part of his alter ego Kid Cream. One last thing to say about Junior Jack. This song is from the album Trust It, which has one of the most lurid album covers I've ever seen. It's a picture of a record turntable, but instead of putting the needle on the record, he's put the needle into his arm, which we do not advocate and do not try that at home. As much as I love the song Put the Needle on It by Danny Minogue, I've never felt the need to take it as literally as Junior Jack. But maybe he is just a huge Danny Minogue fan and we can only support him for that. And I also support some of his other songs. This is the third of his six UK top 40s. He's best known for the songs Da Hype and Stupid Disco, both of which are bangers that are much better than Isamba. And another song that's much better than Isamba is our number 33 entry down from 26 in its sixth week on the chart, Jameson with Complete. So there's a little bit of late period garage and these next few songs really show us the full range of the 2003 chart and that's why this is such an amazing time to talk about. At 32 we have 
the Bad British Indie of Silence is Easy by Star Sailor. That's in its third week. At 31, we have the anonymous trance of Show Me a Sign by Contact. And at 30, we have a new entry. The 2003 charts were also full of artists that mums and dads were, were buying the singles of. And certainly it was only people over the age of 40 buying. At 30, a new entry for Sting with Send Your Love. Sting was gracious enough to send his love to us all on Top of the Pops. Here's what he said about Send Your Love. Okay, now I believe that you're going to be performing a brand new single for us. Do you want to tell us a bit about it? It's called Send Your Love to the Future and I Mean It. Here's a sample of some of the lyrics. Finding the world in the smallness of a grain of sand and holding infinities in the palm of your hand and heaven's realms in the seedlings of this tiny flower and eternities in the space of a single hour. Oh no, what's that sound I can hear? Oh no, it's the pretentiousness alarm. I've only just put new batteries into the pretentiousness alarm because it, funny enough, just tends to go off in my life all the time. So I have to be careful with that. But certainly Sting, one of our great pretentious artists, making here what allmusic.com called a fussy overworked stab at maturity one that has impeccable craft but is obscured by its own meticulousness. The general read on Sting from that review and from all the kind of press around him is that he's a pretentious guy, but I wanted to find out why is he so pretentious? So of course I again went to ChatGBT, hoping, you know, in a kind of better the devil you know spirit of if this guy's going to replace me, I'm going to learn all of his strengths and weaknesses before he does that. And so I asked him, ChatGBT, we're on first name terms, chat, why is Sting so pretentious? And it told me, it's important to remember that opinions on what may be considered pretentious can vary widely among individuals. What one person views as pretentious, another may see as artistic or genuine. I don't know who decided to make ChatGBT sound like a kind of lecturing teacher, but there we go. They have. This is the problem with AI. If we have any AI technicians listening, I'm about to like make you a million pounds just with this one idea. And so listen up. ChatGPT will never overtake real reporters when it's afraid of being bitchy. Because let me tell you, as someone who's been a journalist for the last 12 years, we are not afraid to be savage. And no matter how much people may say they don't like that, they love reading bitchy takedowns. So while ChatGBT was unwilling to give me real details about why Sting was so pretentious, a real writer was able to give me a piece called Sting's Four Douchiest Moments. I will say this piece only had three douchey moments when I actually read it, which isn't great. And it's that kind of laziness that will end up with AI replacing us but nevertheless the the three points they did give us were pretty good they call each of them a douche chill so douche chill one is that Sting created a bard character this is of course referring to his 
period of time where he released that album on the lute. It says a lute player delicately plinks at his instrument while Sting croons in a ridiculously affected ye old Englishman voice that makes his old fake Jamaican accent sound like something Mel Streep spent six years working on. Douche Chill 2, the collaborations. It mentions that at this time that Sting's most recent collaboration was, the, was with the Black Eyed Peas who for the last 10 years or so have been employing scientists and alchemists to see if they can produce the single worst song of all time. It sounds like they're pretty close. By the way, Black Eyed Peas, the reigning number one this week. We will see later on if anyone is able to knock Where Is The Love off the top spot. But first, the third juice chill is that he's a bit pretentious. Oh, really? This one, the writer had to break into bullet points. It says, first of all, he goes by Sting. Strike one. Oh, there's some myth about how he got the name from a yellow and black striped sweater, but we're not buying it. We've read Lord of the Rings and have seen the movie multiple times and we know damn well he's named after the Baggins family sword. He also has an Icelandic horse called Hrimnir, which he says is the noise Legless the Elf makes whenever he queefs. It's quite crude. Can't see ChatGPT saying queef. It says he started off as a jazz musician and that all rock stars who start off as jazz musicians are fucking insufferable. Amen. He has a song called Dee Doo Da Doo Dee Da Da Da, which sounds like a throwaway pop song until you read that one of the lyrics is their logic ties me up and rapes me. It says forcible rape imagery is not exactly appropriate for what is otherwise a goofy love song sting. And it, the final bullet point says, although sometimes tolerable, his lyrics tend to be heavy handed to the point of embarrassment, even when they aren't name dropping famous writers of yore. So there we go. That's everything you need to know about why Sting is a little bit pretentious. Although he seems to be aware of this. He once told The Guardian, what a pretentious wanker I am. Maybe we'll get that printed on tote bags when we do merch. And how appropriate that at number 29, we have one of the least pretentious women that we've ever seen. At 29, down from 11 in its second week on the chart. So a bad sign for Lisa Scott Lee with Too Far Gone. Last week we talked about how Lisa Scott Lee was basically the victim of the record label not really knowing what to do with her after this song flopped. And this week I really learned what a shame it was that they didn't know what to do with her because they genuinely had some fantastic songs waiting for her. This year, as in 2023, she released a song called Burnt Out and Falling, which was her collaboration from 2003 with Chicane, which is an amazing song. And it really did make me think about a parallel universe where Lisa Scott Lee could have been one of the great mid-noughties pop princesses of Britain. So if you let me spin a Black Mirror-like parallel world, there was at one point, it was the, the record label wanted Britney to release as the first single from In The Zone, a version of the song Sweet Dreams My LAX which was meant as a reply record to Justin Timberlake's Crimea River. But basically, she refused and it ended up going to Rachel Stevens. And in fact, we will see later on in this episode how well Rachel Stevens does with Sweet Dreams My LAX. But imagine a world 
in which Britney did Sweet Dreams My LAX and therefore Rachel Stevens didn't. That would have meant that Rachel Stevens' first single was Funky Dory, which, and that probably means that Rachel Stevens' career would have burnt out like Joe from S Club's solo career. And that leaves a spot for a bubbly, sexy in the right way for the lads mags pop princess in the UK. And that would be filled by Lisa Scott Lee. So there is a parallel world where the two swapped places and someone needs to commission that bit of sci-fi now. But as it is, Lisa Scott Lee will be remembered as a pop star who did a few songs before her career burnt out, which makes her very much the female abs who is at 28 this week in its fourth week on the chart with Miss Perfect. At 27, we have a new entry whose title made me very worried about its content. This is Special Needs by Placebo. Remember me through flash photography and screens. Remember me, special dreams. Just 19 is suckers' dream. I guess I thought you had the flavor. Just seeing a song called Special Needs in a 2003 chart just feels like a cancellation wake to happen, doesn't it? But when you listen to this song, it's actually a fairly sweet ballad. So Special Needs there from Placebo, who always bring out the best in kind of ageing emo YouTube commenters. The top comment on the video for Special Needs reads, Placebo always make me hug my depression and it's fine. So I like this song, but it did leave me more questions than answers, namely why it's called Special Needs. It's a line from the song, but it doesn't really make sense with the rest of it, because the rest of the song is basically the same lyrical content as Don't You Want Me by The Human League and Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. It's about someone talking about someone they used to know who has since gone on to be famous. And so I searched for some information about the song's meaning online and I came across a website called songtell.com which is using, you've guessed it, AI to basically do a page for every song that's ever been written explaining its meaning. So here's what it said about Special Needs by Placebo. It reflects the idea of accepting people who are different. It is sung from the perspective of someone who is on the outside looking in, remembering their situation when they were young and dreaming of a better life, yet always being held back due to their differences. Despite the struggles they endure, they still have special dreams and they plead with the listener to remember them in their current state. The song encourages self-acceptance and embracing differences while also highlighting the struggles of being perceived as different. It is a reminder to not forget those who are often looked down upon and to support them by seeing their true worth. Thought, that's a pretty good explanation of this song. You know, this songtell.com website could be interesting. And so, of course, I did the totally mature thing and instantly looked up the song meanings for all of the rudest songs that I could think of. And so I have a little game that you can play at home. I'm going to read the meanings that Songtell has given for a number of rude songs, okay? So I'll read them out and then you can guess at home what song you think it is and then I will reveal the answer. This is fun. Interactive podcasting. It's called Innovation, okay? Okay, here's the first one. So this song is an ode to female empowerment and sexual confidence. The song encourages women to take charge of their own pleasure and be unashamedly sexual. Okay, so that's your first clue, if anyone's got it. Here's a here's the next line, which makes things a little bit easier. 
The lyrics make clear references to popular sex acts, such as oral sex. Okay, if you haven't got it yet, this last line will give it away, okay? And Kia asks men to put their neck into it and lick it good. The chorus of the song is an explicit order for the men to lick my pussy and my crack. I would need to hire a kind of newsreader to read these out, I think. If anyone knows one, message me. So you go, that was Lick It by Kia. No, that's not what it's called, is it? That is My Neck, My Back by Kia. And here's, here's song two. <laughs> no, here's song number two, not song two. Haha. <laughs> so this song is an anthem celebrating female empowerment and sexual liberation. Okay, that sounds familiar. With lyrics describing acts of sexual pleasure, the song celebrates female ownership of their sexuality and encourages women to value their own personal pleasure above all else. Okay, any any ideas? This last line will give it away. The idea of a wet-ass pussy is used as a symbol for female sexual pleasure and in the chorus, Cardi and Megan encourage their listeners to seek out and enjoy this pleasure. That's WAP by Megan The Stallion and Cardi B. No one ever says what happens to Cardi A, do they? Or Cardi O. Moving swiftly on from those. So this is the last one. This one's a little bit harder. Okay, so I'll read the whole meaning that Songtale gives it. This song appears to be an upbeat party track about the desire for a girl and the pleasure of dancing together. The chorus emphasises the desire to explore the physical and sexual attraction between the singer and the girl. Overall, the song is about enjoying a night out with friends and pursuing a hot girl for a physical encounter. Though the lyrics don't offer any deep or profound meanings, rude, they convey the youthful and carefree spirit of a partying lifestyle. Okay, I'm going to tell you what that is, because it's Flip Reverse by Blazing Squad, and that is a totally wrong meaning, because everyone knows that Flip Reverse by Blazing Squad is about bumming in a truck. Isn't Kenzie sweet? Why don't you tell the nice BBC viewers what your song Flip Reverse it was all about? Women. Women, yes. It was about anal in a truck. So there we go. That's AI's definitions of special needs, my neck, my back, WAP, and flip reverse. I'm sorry to besmirch what was actually quite a beautiful song from Placebo with a load of smut, but hey, what am I here for? That is Placebo at 27, and at 26, we have a song about feeling pressured and overwhelmed in the struggle to meet expectations from those around you. The song speaks to the struggle to maintain one's own identity and remain true to themselves, but to find themselves unable to navigate the issues when caught up in a situation where they are unable to do so. Okay, that was a total word salad, songtell.com. So I will tell you, this song is down from 14 last week, Numb by Linkin Park. So we can get to that amazing top 10 quicker. Let's blast through these lower numbers. Here is a rundown of everything from number 25 to number 19. 25. Twenty-three. How you feeling, man? The way I'm feeling you. You go call your crew, and then I call my crew. Cause Jay and Rishi 
just heard at 25 never leave you by lumidy 24 miss independent by kelly clarkson 23 rishi rish project featuring jay sean dance with you 22 dance with you by lamar 21 like glue by sean paul at 20 shake your tail feather by nelly p diddy and murphy lee and at 19 time is running out by muse as a big chart nerd i cannot tell you how pleased i am that we have two songs called dance with you together there in the chart so that all brings us into the second half of our top 40 and to our next new entry at 18 this is mary j blige featuring method man with love at first sight you heard there is labeled as the nickelodeon version on youtube also available is the brackets original bet version basically the difference is one has swearing and one doesn't which is a great shame because when i saw nickelodeon version i just assumed that you know spongebob was going to be in it and it would just end with everyone getting gunged but i like the idea of having a nickelodeon version of things maybe i'll do a nickelodeon version of this podcast where every time i swear it's just a sound of the splat of gunge see if that can catch on but but unfortunately, Diddy gets out of the video ungunged. Both videos, though, have the most 2003 thing that they possibly could have, which is product placement for the original iPod. And not only is the original iPod, with its 10,000 songs for £300, the most 2003 thing, but it actually is emblematic of something which we haven't really got to talk about yet, but is very important for mid-2000s pop music, and that is the rise of product placement in music videos. I found an article from Entertainment Weekly at the time about this video that says, basically, product placement became started to come because the budgets for music videos started to get shrunk due to internet piracy and declining sales something we saw earlier when 2003 gave us the lowest selling number one of all time with Tom Cross loneliness earlier in the year director Dave Myers says in the article video budgets for A-list artists are half of what they were a year ago so there's a real need to subsidize the cost and here he sticks the knife in because the vanity of the artist hasn't dropped meow Dave Myers who could he be talking about let's see who he's worked with oh by the way that's 
not Dave Myers, one of the Hairy Bikers, just in case you were confused. To my knowledge, the Hairy Bikers have not directed a single music video. They're too busy making goulashes and 69ing, probably. So among the videos that Dave Myers, aka not Dave Myers, from the Hairy Bikers did was Dido's video for Thank You, Missy Elliott's video for Get Your Freak On, Janet Jackson's for All For You, Pink's for Get The Party Started, Celine Dion's for I'm Alive, Britney Spears' Boys, Shakira's Objection, could really be any of those people whose egos hadn't dropped in 2003. The article also contains a quote from the A&M chairman of Geffen at the time, who was Mary J. Blige's record label, a guy called Jimmy Iovine. He says, iPods are good for the music business. It wasn't about the money. It was about getting our artists to support Apple and getting this to a younger crowd. And that is typical of the kind of music industry short-sightedness that is a huge part of 2003 they're like hmm we seem to be losing loads of money because because of internet piracy but oh no let's support this device which will let them carry more of those internet pirated songs than ever before but it's definitely not about the money terrible but really jimmy iovine was playing the long game because he was also the co-creator of Beats, the Dr. Dre headphone brand, which was then bought for, I think, a few billion dollars by who? You've got it, Apple. So now he is a very high up in Apple and he has got Mary J. Blige to do Apple ads again in 2008. And then in 2015, she was out there shilling for Apple Music, as you can hear in this clip. What have you come up with on how best to get your fame? best for the fans to get your music. I hear artists yeah. are always mm -hmm. wondering, complaining, and worried. I think the best way is through Beats, <laughs> Apple yeah. Music, Beats Radio, um, online, you know. Jimmy Iovine really playing the long game. You know, if this was Secrets of the CEO or whatever the f that podcast is called, uh, we would learn something from the fact that he started doing product placement for Apple in 2003 and ended up getting paid billions of dollars for them a few years later. But unfortunately, this is not Secrets of the CEO, so we're going to learn nothing, continue to make no money at all, and then spend all our money on 20th anniversary music merge and vintage magazines. And by we, of course, I mean me. But of course, as we know from the future videos of Lady Gaga and Britney Spears, why product placement for just one item when you can do multiple? And so this song was also the soundtrack of a Lady Foot Locker advert featuring Mary J. Blige. The new Reebok Classic Footwear and Apparel Collection available at the new Lady Foot Locker. Love the name of Lady Foot Locker, by the way. It's like, it's a Foot Locker, but it's for ladies. This locker is full of flowers. Ridiculous name. Can't it just be also Foot Locker? Very 2003. But that also means that Mary J. Blige in this video does have to wear some of the ugliest shoes that anyone's ever seen. It's kind of halfway between a stiletto and a sneaker, which weirdly actually are exactly the same shoes that Holly James was wearing on her performance of I'm in Heaven on Top of the Pots, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Funny how these things all link up. In case you want to know a little bit more about this song, Love at First Sight by Mary J. Blige, it's based on a sample of a Tribe Called Quest song called Hot Sex. I was going to say, I wonder what that's about, but I'd probably go on Songtel and it'd be like, it's an empowering song about embracing intimacy. No, we all know it's a song about getting dicks down, songtel.com. You cannot fool me. So there we go, Love at First Sight by Mary J. Blige. Indirectly about dicking down. You heard it here last. At number 17, just beating MJB in the charts is another team up. This is The Chemical Brothers featuring the Flaming Lips with The Golden Path. And decided I should face it But I stood paralyzed 
on the supposed golden path And I was confronted by a powerful demon force And he said it was the devil And when he spoke his words flowed like glowing lava from the mouth of a volcano So as you can hear there, it's basically a song about Meeting the devil. Crazy. I didn't know the Flaming Lips were such big Abs from Five fans. I met the devil as well, which is pretty far out. What do you mean you met the devil? In- Maybe that can be their next collab, seeing the Flaming Lips have collabed with absolutely <laughs> everyone. Kesha, Miley Cyrus, Yoko Ono, Justin Timberlake, which we'll talk a little bit about later, by the way. But here they are. They're collaborating with the Chemical Brothers in a way that I think quite brings out the best in both of them. But Spin Magazine certainly didn't agree. They called it a decline into middle-brow irrelevance. So, which is basically kind of what happened to Spin Magazine, I think. So, the, the irony is palpable. Chem- the Chemical Brothers reached out to the Flaming Lips to collaborate. And Wayne Coyne, the lead singer of the Flaming Lips, said that he basically, within a few hours, sent them the lyrics. He said that he delivered them, quote, quickly, almost flippantly. Which is exactly, funny enough, the tone I aim for for this podcast. So I'm glad I have that in common with the flaming lips. But thankfully, my lips remain unflamed. Even though I do say that is one of the best, my favourite band names there are. In fact, the Chemical Brothers and the Flaming Lips, both two great band names there. I will admit that it was only probably about a month ago that I got that the Chemical Brothers was about drugs. I don't know what that says about my naivety. But the name The Flaming Lips is a bit more shrouded in mystery where it came from. In an interview with American songwriter, Wayne Coyne said, I'd read somewhere about a band called the, the Flaming Hands, which was a name I liked, and that led to the Flaming Lips. And that same article talks about some of the other theories about where the name came from. It says, From movies and drug references to cold sores and cunnilingus, there are several theories surrounding the nonsensical monikers originating. And again, this is very much the theme of this week's episode. This is why human writers are better than AI writers, because... AI doesn't just casually bring up cunnilingus at every opportunity. In fact, let's see what Bing tells us when we ask, where did the Flaming Lips get their name from? And you can listen to the riveting sounds of a man typing on his phone. Okay, so here we go. According to an article in Rolling Stone, the band's frontman Wayne Coyne explained that they came up with, with the name as a reference to a rumour about a classmate who contracted genital herpes after receiving cunnilingus from a partner with active cold sores. Oh, it did it. That's beautiful. Bing casually bringing up cunnilingus there just like i wanted it to the future is digital very pleased with that also apparently there's some other theories that it's based on something from a film but who cares the flaming lips named after genital herpes heard it here first this is the thing difference between bing and ChatGPT. ChatGPT is like is the spice girls you know and bing is all saints you know it's it's the edgier cooler ai platform you know it's allowed to swear and it wears combats all the time but of course, they both still have major label backing. Mm, satire there. There you go. No other podcast explaining AI in terms of 90s girl bands. Not getting that off the menu, are you? No, you're welcome. At 16, here is Down From Nine in its seventh week on the chart, Pretty Green Eyes by Ultra Beat. And from Pretty Green Eyes to In Between the Thighs, where Gareth Gates went on Katie Price before releasing the song at 15, down from three, that's a harsh drop for Sunshine. Take a walk 
you can listen back to last week's episode to see exactly what Gareth Gates said about his relationship with Katie Price, the one that he said he didn't have and, ne- and threatened legal action against anyone who said that he did, but then he ultimately admitted that he did. Last week, of course, I promised you that this week you would hear what Katie Price had to say. And so here is the wise words of Jordan. Obviously, sexual content warning ahead. I was still young. I was pregnant. I didn't have the dad about and I still wanted to be loved. And obviously, I'm a human being. I'm still going to fancy other people. And yeah, it's, it's, it was wrong, really, when I look back. So what it's... happened? You meet little angelic Gareth, and what happened? <laughs> it was over in seconds. Literally. <laughs> if you're going to be in the media, and you've just started, always take advice from people who have been in it longer. But sometimes, if you think you know better, do it. Remember Gareth Gates? He lied. He lied and said nothing happened, and then as soon as it came out, his career went downhill. Just one thing, never trust a pop idol. So you never can trust a pop idol, but you can trust that. Can't Hold Us Down by Christina Aguilera and Little Kim is at number 14, down from six this week. If a guy have three girls, then he's the man. He could even give us some head and sex or roar. If a girl do the same, then she's a whore. But the table's about to turn. I bet my fame won't. At 13, a new entry from Justin Timberlake with Senorita. Seen those bright brown eyes with tears coming down. She deserves a crown. But where is it now? Mama, listen. And I, lover of vintage magazines that I am, have now seen the Smash Hits 2003 Summer Quiz Special. Honestly, quite a rubbish quiz special. A lot of the quizzes are like, are you a karaoke queen? And then it's like, question one, do you like singing? Yes. Do you like karaoke? Yes. You might be a karaoke queen. But there are some good trivia quizzes in there if you know where to look. And one of them is truth or myth about Justin Timberlake. So let's, here are some true or false statements about... Justin Timberlake play along at home. Oh, it's a little bit playful this first one. Number one, true or false? His Justin Timberlake's nickname came from his pet snake, which he keeps in his room at home. No, that is of course false. We all know that Justin Timberlake was called Justin Trouser Snake because of his Lothario ways. Number two, if Justin Timberlake were to choose between living with Michael Jackson or Kylie, he'd choose Michael Jackson. That is in fact true, and I have nothing further to add about that statement. Question three. He gets his dance moves from his great-grandfather, who was a professional line dancer. That is false. Number four. In a former life, he reckons he was around during the soul era. Wow, incredibly ambitious there to be like, in my past life, I was alive 20 years ago. That's completely ridiculous. And of course, that means it is true. Number five. Trying to keep the name... <laughs> this is this one's quite funny, actually. Trying to keep the name in the family. His new Hollywood mansion is made of timber with a lake. No, that's false. But congratulations, to the Smash Hits writer who came up with that one. And question six, he's thinking of purchasing a poodle because he misses his curls since shaving them off. That is also false. 
some truly fascinating facts about Justin Timberlake there. And this is in general a fascinating time, I think, for his career because it's a story that we hear time and time again in pop music. And he was one of the few people who did it really well, which is how do you translate from being in a slightly goofy boy band to being taken seriously as a solo artist? And so 2003 was full of moments in which Justin Timberlake was desperately trying to be taken seriously. One of those actually had something to do with another band from this week's chart. On Top of the Pops in early 2003, he performed on stage alongside the Flaming Lips when they performed Top of the Pops. He was wearing a dolphin suit and this was in the way that actually Miley Cyrus did with exactly the same band was a way of saying I am hip to all the modern musics take me seriously as a musician and in fact when I say he gave blood sweat and tears to this performance I'm not exaggerating here's what Wayne Coyne the lead singer of the Flame Lips said about it to Rolling Stone he went to go see Justin in his dressing room and he said it was just Justin and a friend of his and they were talking about needles and I'm like oh Jesus maybe they're getting ready to shoot up some cocaine or something then I realised that he's got a blood blister from jamming the bass so hard in the three minutes our song went. Just to prove that he's no sissy, he's popping the blister himself with a needle he got from the wardrobe department. I realise I probably should have warned you about that one. October 2003 was also when he made his first appearance as a host on Saturday Night Live, which was a peak moment for him proving, hey, I'm a cool jack-of-all-trades kind of guy, which really worked for a long time. Obviously, now we generally get the ick from Justin Timberlake, but we can't forget that he did spend many years as one of the biggest stars in the world. But none of Justin's attempts to be cool make up for the fact that this song, Senorita, is really, truly one of the lamest songs ever released. I know there's a lot of people out there who like it, but what the hell is that call and response section at the end? I want to try something right now. See, they don't do this anymore. I'm gonna sing something, and I want the guys to sing with me. They go, it feels like something's heating up. Can I leave with you? And then the ladies go, I don't know what I'm thinking about. Really leaving with you. Entertainment Weekly call this song a slurpy cut which is honestly the most disgusting description of a song I've ever heard. If anyone ever called anything I'd done a slurpy cut, by the way, i take whatever it is I'd made and throw it straight into the sea. And for me, that call and response, hey ladies, hey gentlemen stuff, is basic. it might as well be a black lace song. It's like something you would do at the start of do the conga rather than in a song of an artist who's trying to be taken seriously. And if then all that wasn't worse, the song ends with some of the most disgusting pickup lines I've ever heard in mainstream media. Gentlemen, good night. Ladies, good morning. Just saying, when you think about all those male influencers who do really well on on social media, now I'm not going to say any of their names because I'm sure they all Google themselves, but you can draw a direct line from Senorita by Justin Timberlake to all that pickup artist culture. So Justin Timberlake, very much to blame for one of the worst things about modern culture. And so let's leave this song in the dustbin of history and head towards our top 10. So at number 12, down from seven on its eighth week, a former number one, this is Blue Cantrell featuring Sean Paul with Breathe. And at 11, another former number one, down from five last week at 11, Are You Ready For Love by Elton John.
takes us to one of the biggest, most star-studded top tens we have done on this podcast so far, truly. So the only songs carrying over in the top 10 from last week are White Flag by Dido, which was number two last week, Baby Boy by Big Brothers, which was number four, and of course last week's number one, Where Is The Love by The Black Eyed Peas. And as for the new entries, we have basically every type of music gunning to try and beat The Black Eyed Peas. We have a new pop girly trying to break out from her band with Rachel Stevens's Sweet Dreams My LAX. We have a current pop princess trying to maintain her title against the incoming Rachel Stevens, that's Louise, who's releasing her song Pandora's Kiss. We have Nickelback, everyone's favourite band, trying to beat their highest charting song so far, which was How You Remind Me, which got to number four. We have Westlife trying to get their 12th number one. And we have Jamelia, who, with her second album, is desperately trying to become a real pop star. Her highest chart entry at this point had been in 2000 so she's three years later trying to get her second top 10 single she's managed it with superstar but how high can it go and will it be able to be where is the love well certainly one group who will not be taking on black eyed peas are the ones who produced maybe the worst song in this top 10 and that's say quite saying something when they're up against nickelback this is at 10 eat you alive by limp biscuit I would say as a rule of thumb that if your band is named after a game in which people masturbate until they ejaculate onto a biscuit and then whoever whoever ejaculates last eats the biscuit should probably stay away from food-based names so eat you alive not really a great idea for a song title but luckily that awful song title fits the awful song the music video starts with fred durst saying you're gonna love this and i'm already thinking no i don't think i am and my suspicions were proven right. It truly has some of the creepiest lyrics that pop music has ever given us. If Justin Timberlake's Senorita was responsible for pickup artists everywhere, then this song might have been responsible for the men's rights activists and incels that are such a lovely part of the internet these days. Let me read you a few lyrics from Eat Your Life by Limp Bizkit. Hey you missus, too good to look my way and that's cool. You don't want nothing at all to do with me, but I want you, ain't nothing wrong with wanting you, because I'm a man and I can think what the hell I want. You got that straight. No doubt that I'd love to sniff on them panties now. I'd eat you alive. Really makes you wonder how the hell this guy cleaned up with the women. And clean up, he really did. His dating history is one of the most shocking things that you can find on the internet. Among the women he's rumoured to have dated are Carmen Electra, Christina Aguilera, Tara Reid, the model Caprice. Side note, anyone remember Caprice's single Once Around the Sun? No? Anyway. Thora Birch, Britney Spears, Alyssa Milano, Pamela Anderson, and perhaps most shocking of all, and these two dated for an entire year, Jerry Halliwell. They met, it seems, on a chat show where there was a little bit of flirty behaviour. Hey, 
was like someone like you, like the rap, rapper kind of cool, I'd be the same. Really? Yeah, you know, I'm a girl, so I'm not like that. But I, I'd be probably kind of having loads of chicks around. Well, you've dated a lot of famous guys. If too, I right? was a guy like him, I'd want to, you know, do Britney and all of those. <laughs> but obviously, things didn't work because, as you know, Jerry can't quite handle it if she's not dating a Tory every six months. In fact, Jerry Halliwell's own dating history, quite the fascinating read. Chris Evans, the uh, British chat show host, not the Avenger. Robbie Williams, both Duncan and James from Blue, which is pretty impressive. David Williams, Evgeny Lebedev, the Russian businessman who was the centre of all that Tory party controversy. And of course, Russell Brand, of whom I will be saying nothing. So truly, maybe Fred Durst and Jerry Halliwell were meant for each other. At the time, however, Fred Durst denied that he was dating Jerry Halliwell. He wrote on a message on his band's official website, Oh yeah, I am not dating anyone, especially anyone who you've seen me in a picture with lately. No splatting way. Can't a dog have a pal? Ugh. But we now know that they in fact did date for a year. Jerry and Fred Durst's love affair may have been hot in 2003, but luckily the British record-buying public's affair with Limp Biscuit was slowly running out of steam. This is the last of their top 10 hits, and in fact, their penultimate entry on the UK singles charts by December 2003, our brief infatuation with Limp Biscuit will be over. But never forget that in January 2001, they did manage to have a number one hit with Rollin. And their album, the poetically named Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water, did get to number one in October 2000. So when you complain about the state of modern music, just remember that when you were young in that period that you think is so golden, a album called Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water spent 54 weeks on the UK charts. We've always been garbage people, is the takeaway from that. So Limp Bizkit at number 10, and at number nine, here is the So Solid crew with Broken Silence. This learning the game, I send a prayer for the pain. So Solid Crew, quite similar to Limp Biscuit, briefly the hottest band in Britain and then their top 10 hits slowly run out. Their first song, 21 Seconds, still a classic, was a number one single in August 2001. It also had top 10 hits with They Don't Know, Haters and and This, Broken Silence. It's amazing that So Solid Crew had time to release a single in 2003 because they were causing so much scandal. Of course, we have talked at length about their possible involvement in Dizzy Rascal's stabbing in Iron Napa, but that is merely the tip of the So Solid iceberg in terms of their bad behaviour. So Harvey from So Solid Crew in 2003 became a T4 presenter and won the track and field-based celebrity reality show The Games. The So Solid Crew member Keish spent four months in London's Pentonville and Brixton prisons, but then was released after the dr guns and drugs case against him collapsed. That's actually quite a fascinating story. It was revealed, this was led to him being released, that the evidence against him was entirely from a lip reader who had translated him talking on CCTV footage. I don't know if you've ever seen like regular TV footage from 2003, but I think it would be very difficult to read anyone's lips from CCTV then. He told Enemy, I listen to a lot of Magic FM in prison. They play a lot of ballads. Stevie Wonder, Luther Vandross, Brian Adams, Meatloaf. Then there's Michael Bolton. Oh man, there's some cold singers out there. Mega Man was 
implicated in the Dizzy Rascal stabbing, leading to him releasing a statement saying, There were reports from Cyprus that the police had issued a warrant for the arrest of Mega Man in connection with this incident. Mega Man has fully cooperated with the police, who have now eliminated him from their inquiries following the interview. Lisa Mafia released an incredible solo song in the form of All Over, and then ruined the entire thing by following it up with a big dud called In Love. See previous episodes for us to talk about those. Face. I'm hearing some of these So Solid Crew members' names for the first time here. Served a 12-month community rehabilitation order after being found guilty of driving while disqualified. He also said the immortal words in September. You know what? We're kind of rating the Taliban right now because they fight for their own. We're watching the news and all we see is Taliban, Taliban, Taliban. But they run their country, let them do their... Now we're putting the Taliban in our lyrics. G-Man was found guilty of possession of a loaded handgun and so served four years in prison. And finally, Romeo apparently made a surprise appearance at a crime awareness conference in London. I'm surprised, one bystander said. After all that, can it be surprised that broken silence isn't quite of the calibre of 21 seconds? But someone this week has reached their full potential, although not to preview upcoming charts, but this isn't the highest point that this song will reach in the UK Top 40. Here is at eight, Superstar by Jamelia. We've briefly had opportunities before to talk about Jamelia on the podcast. She is, of course, the person who said the immortal Javine is a slag line. But the more you read about her, the more I'm kind of fascinated by her, actually, and just her complete persistence and her determination to build a career for herself. So she first got signed to a record deal at the age of 15 after she apparently sent the record label a series of a cappella recordings of her voice which she had recorded on a karaoke machine. As someone who spent their entire childhood playing with that karaoke machine, this really speaks to me in a profound way. But her first album, Drama, was a bit of a mixed bag. Her third single, Money, went into the top five, but that was the only top 10 single from the album. Her first single went to number 36, then Money, number 5, Call Me, number 11, Boy Next Door, number 42. So other artists, I think, probably could have got dropped from their record label then, but someone saw potential in Jamelia, even when her first single from this 2003 album, Thank You, was Bout, which we talked about a few weeks ago, only got to number 37. But then someone decided on a poppier direction for her, as we hear here with Superstar, and which gave her her second top 10 hit, and not to peek ahead, will soon give her her highest charting song so far. You'll have to keep listening to find out if it gets to number one in the UK, but it certainly got to number one in Australia and New Zealand. And in many ways, despite not being her highest charting song, it is the Jamelia song that everyone can name. So I was very surprised to learn it's actually a cover. Now, We've all seen those like YouTube videos that are like, as long as you won't believe it covers. And then you're like, did you know that Adele's to make you feel my love is a cover? And you're like, yeah, I've, I knew that a hundred years ago. But this one, genuine surprise, Superstar, written by Danish pop star Christine Milton, who released it slightly earlier in 
to that version and you're like, oh, why didn't they just release that version? It's pretty much the same as Jamelia. Oh, no, that terrible line about the choreographer is so clunky that they had to re-release it with someone else. But Jamelia has certainly made it her own. It won her the Ivan Novello Award for Most Performed Work. And according to the Performing Rights Society, it's the fourth most popular song of the 2000s in the UK based on the amount of plays and performances. People who are into modern pop music may remember when the band Flow were desperately trying to become a thing, they often covered it. So that de- they definitely factored in to those multiple performances. The song goes on to sell 400,000 units in the UK, making it the 26th biggest selling song of 2003, in between Lose Yourself by Eminem and Are You Ready For Love by Elton John. It also, let's be honest, is the thing that saves Jamelia's pop career. She goes on to have five more UK top 40s. She was part of Band Aid 20. She recorded a song for the 2004 Olympics. And even at one point, she was rumoured as a potential replacement for Keisha when she left the Sugar Babes. I think that's a very problematically, the British press at the time being like, hmm, who's another black British pop star we can think of? But certainly they did report on that. Since her last UK top 40 hit in 2006, Jamelia's had an interesting career. She's been a panellist on Loose Women. She's appeared on Strictly Come Dancing and Bear Grylls Mission Survive. And she's currently, apparently, a member of the cast of Hollyoaks. Zoe, I know you're angry, but come on. This silent treatment, it's not doing either of us any favours. Call me back. She was also the, and I wonder if anyone remembers this, the leader of the house band of one of the worst programmes the BBC ever created, which was I Love My Country, the UK themed quiz show once called A Shapeless Shambles, Idiot TV at its worst and Little Short of Treason. Insert your own joke here about that also being a description of Hollyoaks. So an interesting mixed career since she stopped being a pop star but responsible for some absolute bangers which we are sure to talk about in the coming months and years. Very excited to do that. But for now she is at number eight just behind at number seven one of the three Returning entries in this top 10, Baby Boy by Big Brothers. Number six, Canada's finest, Nickelback with Someday. Yes, the time has come to speak about Nickelback and their role in 2000s music. What a joy. At this point, they'd had two UK top 10s, How You Remind Me in February 2002 and Too Bad, a number nine hit in September 2002, which whose title also acts as its own review. 
And of course, in June 2002, their lead singer Chad Kroger had a number four hit with Hero. In the UK, Nickelback will go on to have one more UK top 10, which is Rockstar, a number two hit in October 2007. And truly, 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 I know that we're prone to exaggeration here at the 2000s chart show, but truly perhaps the worst song of the decade. But the thing is, it's like making fun of Nickelback now, it's just a bit played out. I've heard every permutation of how terrible Nickelback are. Even recently, someone asked me at a party, would you rather there was every song in the world, but they were all performed by Nickelback, or that every song in the world was Rockstar by Nickelback, but it was sung by different artists? I, th- I went for the former, by the way, just because I hate that song so much that even, I don't know, a Brian Eno take on it would still be pretty unbearable. Here are just some of the sources who have called Nickelback one of the worst bands of all time. In 2011, the music-based dating site TasteBuds, where, full disclosure, I met my first serious boyfriend, they called Nickelback the ultimate musical turn-offs beating Justin Bieber, Lady Gaga, Kesha, Coldplay, U2, Creed, Katy Perry, Lil Wayne and Britney Spears. There's some homophobia there that we won't get into. Rolling Stone once called them the second worst band of the 1990s behind Creed, which was puzzling because they released their first album in 2000, but they just couldn't resist a chance to make fun of Nickelback. And the drummer of the Black Keys, Patrick Carney, once said, Rock and roll is dying because people became okay with Nickelback being the biggest band in the world. Okay, I think if I was a member of the Black Keys, I wouldn't be throwing shade about who are the best and worst bands, but whatever he did. And it kind of makes you wonder exactly what is it about Nickelback that people hate so much. I mean, sure, I find some of their songs annoying, like I said about Rockstar, but is it any worse than, say, like, I don't know, Scooter? Even, like, you know, One True Voice was standing right there. But luckily, people smarter than me have answered the question. Particularly NPR were asked, why do people hate Nickelback so much? They say, hatred of bands is often about the story of ourselves that we're comfortable telling the world. A shorthand word for it would be vanity, and it often comes back to the need to either pick a popular side or cast ourselves as bold contrarians. So basically, it reaches a critical mass that if enough people say they hate Nickelback, then it becomes, then do it to just fit into the crowd. But they also did pick out a number of musical reasons why people may hate Nickelback. Nickelback sold millions of records in a style that's fallen out of fashion through overexposure. The genre to which the band has typically belonged, umpteenth generation copy of a copy post-grunge, dispensed with urgent Creed-esque self-importance, has seen the scales of public opinion tip overwhelmingly against it. Specifically to Nickelback, you also have the similarities between its own hit singles, not to mention, let's face it, the name which rolls off the sneerer's tongue with a special kind of venomous ease. So it's kind of the same way that we make fun of Limp Biscuit now that they are kind of a remnant of an embarrassing era. When a genre starts to kind of get soiled, they are like the worst band of that. So you start with Nirvana, you end with Nickelback, just like with the second indie revival that we're about to get into. You start with Franz Ferdinand, the Arctic Monkeys, and you end up with the twang. They are the Canadian twang, if you will. Nickelback have long since dealt with the fact that they're seen as one of the worst bands in the world. Here's what he said in an interview about the hatred that the band receives. See, you deal with bullies in school, and then you get out of school and you deal with bullies, and you join a band, and all of these people in the media that say, don't bully, don't bully, don't bully, are the ones doing all of the bullying. And there, there needs to be some reflection there. It's like, take a look in the mirror, and, and don't run around and saying, don't bully, don't bully, don't bully, and then spit the hate that you do I mean, the irony is 
quite substantial. So maybe, I can't believe I'm saying this, it may be time for us to give Nickelback a break. Firstly, we can admit that How You Remind Me is kind of good. And also, by the fact they've sold 50 million records, there are definitely people out there who are out there saying they hate Nickelback and inside are buying those records. They walk among us. Insert horror music there. So to find that, I just searched scary music on YouTube and the ad that rolled before that song was Becky Hill doing an acoustic cover of one of her songs, which really does raise the question, what is the true scary music? But back to Nickelback, and obviously they are at number six here. So, you know, that's... At the very least, tens of thousands of people who liked this song enough to buy a copy. Why they did, I'm not sure. It sounds like a photocopy of a photocopy of How You Remind Me, but they do. And they did. And they also bought enough copies of Nickelback songs to get five more UK Top 40s for them. So we will have plenty more time to criticise and maybe even potentially defend at some points. Nickelback. For now, we are going to move to number five, an artist much more down the street, I imagine, of the average 2000s pop show listener. Here is, at five, Louise with Pandora's Kiss. Louise there opening up Pandora's Kiss, which is definitely not a thing. But who are we to criticise Louise nerding, aka Redknapp, aka LGBT ally? Ally! Of course, this is the same Louise Redknapp who this week announced that she would no longer be part of the Eternal Reunion because two of the four members refused to play LGBTQ festivals and pride events. Quite who else they thought was going to be booking them is unclear. Louise Redknapp put out a statement through her publicist saying a message was sent to the team putting together the Eternal Reunion stating that if it was to go ahead, neither Vernie nor Esther, the two members of Eternal, would perform at pride shows or LGBTQ plus festivals. This was because the duo felt that the gay community was being hijacked by the trans community and they do not support this. Louise is a huge supporter and ally of the LGBTQ plus community. Both herself and Kelly told the duo they would not work with anyone who held these views and as such the reunion as a four would not be going ahead. The team behind the proposed eternal reunion are gay, including management, PR and tour promoter. Neither myself nor any of the team would work with artists who held such views about the trans community. Oh, the people who want to shepherd Eternal's career are gay. What a surprise. And then Louise responded to all of this by posting a picture of the, the Progress Pride flag onto her social media, captioning it always and forever, the name of the first Eternal album, which is quite a nice little bit of uh, A support and B shade. So big fan of her supporting the LGBTQ plus community. And with this song, Pandora's Kiss, she was doing more good because this song was released to raise money for Asda's Tickled Pink campaign against breast cancer. Another song that was released for that campaign was My Love Is Pink by Sugar Babes, one of their most underrated songs. But let's just say that Don't Give Up, the second of the double A sides, feels closer in tone to Asda than My Love Is Pink or Pandora's Kiss. Let's hear a little bit of a listen to it.
Kids of a certain generation can't help but do a double tap of their jean pocket to that, the Asda Price theme. Asda would like to thank the thousands of people who have helped roll back thousands of prices. Which has resulted in Asda being voted the lowest priced supermarket for the sixth year running. So, everyone's happy. Always rolling back prices. That's Asda people. Yes, Asda said that Don't Give Up by Louise was written by the same person who did their Asda Price theme tune. Interesting thing on the Pandora's Kiss Wikipedia, it says that Pandora's Kiss is Louise's 11th highest selling single in the UK. Do you think to yourself, oh, well, that's pretty good going. I wonder how many singles she released in the UK. It was 12, so it's her second least highest selling single which may explain why it was the last single that she released until 2019 and why the album that it was supposed to set up ended up not being released although this very month Louise finally released some tracks from it which was making gays of a certain age very excited. I have to say I'm just slightly too young to be a huge eternal and Louise stan although weirdly I would say my favourite song by hers is Beautiful Inside which was dead last in the official chart list of the highest selling songs by Louise. That song got to number 13 in November 2000. So although getting to number 5, a unfortunately a career killing single for a bit for Louise, although she has really bounced back now and still has a dedicated fan base, which is really all you can ask for 20 years on from your last single. Talking about dedicated fan bases, we have Westlife and Rachel Stevens left of the new entries who have a chance at beating Where Is The Love by The Black Eyed Peas to number 1. Let's see which of them is at number four. Westlife with Hey Whatever at number four. It really shows when you've had a little bit too much success when you release a song called Hey Whatever. You know, you've had once you've had 11 number ones, you probably get a bit blasé. Other titles they were considering for this song were F*** It That'll Do, Meh, and simply just a shrug emoji, which was weird because emojis didn't exist yet. This song is kind of a classic example of something that we've talked about a lot in this podcast. The band said in their book that this was the song that the band wanted to release as the lead single for their third album, Turnaround despite their management telling them that they didn't think it was a hit. But the band got what they wanted, and the result was their first single to sell less than 100,000 copies. It sold only 80,000. And then, as a compromise, they released the song the record label wanted them to release for the second single, which was Mandy, which became their 12th number one. So don't try and take control of your careers, pop stars. Record label will never support you. This song came up when the much-missed Pop Justice interviewed Mark from Westlife. When the interviewer said, you know what you should say to the haters? Just say to them, hey, whatever. Mark replied, well, maybe not. Simon Cowell wouldn't say that. 
he wouldn't like us to say that. We're supposed to say Mandy. The interviewer replies, let's be fair, he did have a point. Hey, whatever was something of a low point. Mark replies, yeah, it was us trying to um sort of... We didn't know how to fight back and we just kind of went blah. That's B-L-E-A-A-A-A-G-H. Now we're kind of a bit more mature about things and we've learned a bit more, but back then it was almost like a cry for help. Would you believe that this is a band that in two singles time will lose a member? Who could have fathomed it? But it's worth mentioning Westlife's astounding run up to this point. Their first seven singles went to number one. That's Swear It Again, If I Let You Go, Flying Without Wings, the double A side of I Have a Dream and Seasons in the Sun, Fool Again, Against All Odds, their duet with Mariah Carey, and My Love. And then they had further number ones after What Makes a Man Only Got to Number Two with Uptown Girl, Queen of My Heart, and World of Our Own. Then they had another song that went to number five, and then Unbreakable got to number one in November 2002. At the moment, 2003 is the first year in their entire career where they haven't had a number one single. As we've seen there, they had number ones in 99, 2000, 2001, and 2002. Their previous single was Tonight Slash Miss You Nights, which we talked about on previously on the podcast. And with this at number four, it's looking like this could be the beginning of the end for Westlife. Although, as I've said, their next song is Mandy everyone's favourite song about taking MDMA. That's not really what it's about. But this is, however, their lowest selling single so far. Behind, at number three, in its third week on the chart, down from number two, White Flag by Dido. leaves us with just two songs. Last week's number one, Where Is The Love by The Black Eyed Peas, and this week's highest new entry, Sweet Dreams My LAX by Rachel Stevens. I'll leave it to the iconic Wes to count us down from 20 to 2. Hiya, this is Wes and here is this week's official The 2000s Chart Show Top 20, 20s Nelly and P. Diddy and Murphy Lee Shake your tail feather, Muse at 19, Time is Running Out Mary J. Bludge and Method Man, brand new at 18, Love at First Sight Brand new at 17, The Chemical Brothers featuring the Flaming Lips and the Golden Path 16's Ultra Beat, Pretty Green Eyes 15's Gareth Gates, Sunshine 14, Christina Aguilera featuring Lil' Kim, Can't Hold Us Down Brand new at 13, Justin Timberlake, Senorita Blue Cantrell featuring Sean Paul's at 12 with Breathe Elton John's at 11, Are You Ready For Love? At 10, Eat Your Lie from Limp Biscuit is new. New at 9, Broken Silence from So Solid Crew. Jamelia's brand new at 8, Superstar. 7's Big Brothers and Baby Boy. New at 6, Nickelback, Someday. New at 5, Louise, Pandora's Kiss. Westlife, brand new at 4, Hey Whatever. 3's Dido, White Flag. And the highest new entry, Rachel Stevens. Sweet Dreams, my LAX at number 2. That's right, for the third week in a row, Black Eyed Peas staying strong with Where Is The Love at number one. And Rachel Stevens, her first solo song, nearly became a Britney Spears single, but is giving Rachel Stevens a number two hit. The first of seven UK top 40s that Rachel Stevens will have. She will never get to number one outrageously, but she will get to number two again in July 2004 with perhaps her most iconic song, Some Girls. Both of those, Sweet Dreams LAX and Some Girls, got to number two and both stayed at 13 weeks at the chart. I feel that it's every gay has to decide whether they're more of a Sweet Dreams My LAX or more of a Some Girls gay. But for me, 
nothing is quite as iconic as that ropey video and by which I mean not that it's a ropey video but that it's a video featuring lots of featuring Rachel Stevens getting tangled up in a lot of ropes. Is it stolen from Holly Valance's Kiss Kiss? Yeah, but you know, is the whole again video stolen from Sugar Babes' Overload? Yes, but they're still all great videos. Usually when someone is starting a new career on the podcast, we like to play you a few interview clips from them to kind of put where they are in context. But the problem is, and before we get into this, I have to say I love Rachel Stevens. I think if you take out Funky Dory her singles run is maybe the best run of singles that any pop star of the 2000s had. Sweet is my LAX, some girls, more, 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 negotiate with love, so good, and I said never again, but here we are. But it is also certainly true that she is one of the most boring interviewees that pop music has ever given us. This was something that Simon Amstel talks about a lot. We heard him earlier on Nevermind the Buzzcocks talking to Kenzie from Blazing Squad, but here he is in Enemy's Big Book of 2003 talking about his top 10 most boring interviews. Number three is Rachel Stevens. He says, she was nice, just really, really nice. Someone told me I've never slept so well as when I was watching that interview. The only interesting thing I could think about her is the rumour she has webbed feet, but she didn't want to talk about it, so that was that, really. Queen of Dahl. And we can hear this interview, and this is an interview that I'm kind of obsessed with. If I was Queen of Huns, this would be a clip that I would probably put on the feed once every month. Here is Rachel Stevens being so media trained that she can't even choose a nut. Which one of the sugar babes do you least get on with? Heidi's my favourite. Okay, second favourite? Equally. Equally second? Equally second. Clever. Favourite nut? Cashew. Hmm. Or dry roasted? Make a decision. No, both. Come on. Couldn't. Really? No. Wow. You know, this is the same, obviously, she's part of the band that once their management literally stopped an interview halfway through because someone asked them a awkward question about their manager. So queen of media training and according to Simon Amstel, queen of dull. Um, let's talk cash. cash. Mr. Simon Fuller. Okay, please don't, don't look at me like uh, you're angry. He's got 90 million <laughs> in the bank. How much? 90 million. 90 now. Yes. That's 50 this week. No, I thought it was 130. <laughs> no, it, it is 90. Um, there are rumours, I don't know how true they are, that you guys are grumpy because you haven't made a mint. No, Hannah, that's not true. Are, are, are you not grumpy about well, it at all? We didn't all? get I mean, a no mint. Grumpy. I would love a mint in my breath. I didn't yeah, I'm a bit pungent. Um, no, just did you get a bit I think we're all really, go. really lucky to be where we are today at our age and have the bank balances that we do have. But that doesn't stop this song being an absolute banger. She said of the song in an interview with Music Week, the writers really got my personality and the direction I want to go in. The first thing is a great example. The first time I heard it, I knew it's what I wanted. Did they get your personality and the direction you wanted to go in? Or did they get the, get Britney Spears's personality and the direction that Britney didn't want to go in? Which is why you ended up with the song. Who can say? What I can say is that it has a link to some of the other songs that we've just been talking about. It was nominated for Record of the Year in 2003, but lost to Westlife's Mandy, to which I say, okay, sure, in what planet? Is that a better single? Also nominated for Record of the Year, which was of course presented by Kat Dealey, were Mandy by Westlife, Be Faithful by Fat Man Scoop, which will be coming to these charts very soon, Bring Me to Life by Evanescence, Crazy in Love by Beyonce, 
If You're Not The One by Daniel Bedingfield, Make Love by Room 5, Where Is The Love by Black Eyed Peas, which has just beaten it to number one. White Flag by Dido and Year 3000 by Busted. It also lost Best British Single at the Brits, lost that to Dido's White Flag. There it was up, also up against Scandalous by Mystique, Spirit in the Sky by Gareth Gates and Superstar by Jamelia. I think it may be deserved to win both of those, but I am not a music industry insider voting in 2003 juries. I know I give off that impression, but I was in fact 10 years old at the time. By the way, as the 20 by the way, as the 22nd highest selling song of the year, it was in between Sound of the Underground by Girls Aloud and Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. Good company, but it couldn't compete against the biggest selling song of 2003, this week's number one, Where Is The Love by The Black Eyed Peas. This song will eventually sell 625,000 copies. This, as we said before, the first year in about 10 years not to have a million seller in it. In its third week here, Where Is The Love by The Black Eyed Peas selling 79,000 copies after selling 90,000 and 94,000 the two previous two weeks. So Rachel Stevens doing well. That song will end, end up being certified silver for selling over 200,000 copies, but for now it cannot be the combined power of Apple Diap, Taboo, Fergie and Will I Am here at the top for another week. We'll play it in a second, but first I implore you to recommend this podcast to everyone you can in any way that you can, or in fact every way that you can, to quote the great Sir Tab from Eurovision. Follow us on our social medias at the 2000s chart show on Twitter or just 2000s chart show on Instagram. Email us at the 2000s chart show at gmail.com and have a great week of pop music. Here is this week's number one 20 years ago, Where is the Love by the Black Eyed Peas. See you next week. Hey, let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all. Practice what you preach and what you turn the other cheek. Father, 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 help us send some guidance from above. These people got me, got me questioning. Where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love? How is Paul Catamol? Um, Paul, I haven't spoken to Paul for a while. Mm. How's that one you always hated? What's that one? Who's that one? You know. I don't know. God, you're good at this.